Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And Damakon Sue is re-signed and he has twin boys. Now he wants a pair of Super Bowl rings. Will the Bucks draft an edge rusher? with the 32nd overall pick. And what will happen to Carlton Davis after he apologized for using an anti-Asian slur? Should we be concerned with Rich Hill and Chris Archer's not-so-great debuts? We've got all your mailbag questions answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And uh, Steve had a chance to talk with uh, one in Domicon Sioux on, uh, I guess it was, what, Monday? afternoon after he officially signed or was announced to have signed his one-year $8 million deal with the Buccaneers. You know, Sue was one of those guys I wasn't sure about as, as you know, this now makes all 22 starters returning from the Super Bowl 55 team officially. There's still some guys out there that play big roles, you know, obviously, and, and we'll, we can get into that. But uh, the, the one the thing about Indomitian has always been that, you know, he he sort of sort of has been a guy that has, you know, moved from team to team. He was with the Lions the, the biggest part of his career, then Miami, then with the Rams, and they went to a Super Bowl but didn't win it. And then the Rams didn't try to re-sign him, which was sort of surprising to me. And then he came to the Bucks, and I, I really didn't know how long he was going to play or how long he would stay here. Um, but but obviously, you know, after having Todd Bowles come in and input him in his defense and seeing what a great fit he was, especially playing next to Vita Vea, you saw Sue come alive. And, you know, you hear so many stories about him. Of course, he has the on-field persona early in his career, being sort of one of the dirtiest players in the NFL. We remember him, you know, getting suspended and stomping on guys and that sort of thing. Um, but the reality is, you know, his personality away from the field, he he's about as soft-spoken as you get. You know, uh, always a guy that gets along with teammates, um, somebody that's usually willing to help, you know, younger players. Um, and, and, and he seemed cause I watched him, you know, closely he seemed to really enjoy Tampa Bay and playing for the bucks, which is important at this stage of his career, because you figure that, you know, he, he wants to, he wanted to win a ring. That was the sort of the one piece missing from what is arguably a hall of fame career. I mean, this guy's going to get a lot of consideration for that. If you go back and look at his numbers, uh, and how they stack up against some of the better defensive tackles in the NFL. And so he wins the Super Bowl and actually played really well last season. He had six sacks during the regular season, could have more, had one and a half sacks in the Super Bowl, right, which is the biggest stage of all. Uh, but I, I I figured he would chase the money. I figured he, you know, the, the money wasn't great this year because the salary cap was lower. Um, but at 34 years old, to get $8 million with a chance to make as much as $10 million, that's good money in, in this league. I think he made nine, a base salary of $9 million, um, the year before. So, you know what? Um, he said that he loves his teammates. He loves playing for Todd Bowles. He feels reinvigorated from a career standpoint. He thinks he can do more. He 
You mentioned the Minnesota game where he really let three sacks get away from him. He was right there and just didn't finish the tackle. Um, but I, I, I'm impressed by just how at home he feels. And he splits his time in Portland, Oregon, where he's from, but how home he feels in Tampa. And now he's a new dad, and, and he's got a whole nother level of responsibilities and interests uh, outside of football, which he always had a bunch of them. But, um, you know, Sue – Sue's one of those guys that that sort of is is a linchpin of their defense because if you look at the last two years, they've been number one against the run, and and you put him next to Vea. I mean, this was an important signing, I think, for their defense. I think it's huge, and and for one, for him, he made a ton of money early. He, remember, he what signed a hundred and fourteen million dollar deal with the uh, the Lions way back when. It's a great uh, his point. Career earnings, his career earnings are over 150 million at this point. It, it's a great point. Just to interject. He was the last class. Uh, 2010 was his draft class, and it was with Gerald McCoy. That was the last class before the rookie salary pool. Um, before you know, uh, back in in, in Domicon's day, Gerald McCoy's day, you got most of your money in a signing bonus, most of it up front. That does not occur now, and there wasn't really um, sort of the structure that they have now. But that's that's a good point. So chasing the money, I mean, you know, could he have gotten more elsewhere? Yeah, maybe a couple million, and, right. and not to poo-poo a couple million, right? But when you've made 150 million, you can say, ah, oh, mm-hmm. I'll take eight, nine million to be somewhere where I'm happy. And he obviously seems very happy in this defense with this team, right? But he also says the right things, and, and we know the influence he's had on the team. But you know, he talked about how he's focused on doing what's best for the team, and sometimes he's a decoy to free up other guys, and he's okay with yeah. that now. Yeah. Early in his career, maybe he wouldn't have been. Um, you know, right. I think we've seen we've seen throughout his career he's matured a lot, mm-hmm. and from the antics on the field to yeah. you know he's really a leader on this team. And I, I laughed too when he said, you know, he had to learn all the younger teammates' dances and terminology, <laughs> yeah. um, which he's the old man at thirty four. Well, how's Tom Brady doing with all that terminology <laughs> and dancing? <laughs> yeah, I told him I said, you know, Brady. When I was talking to him on Monday, I said, you know, Brady gets all this all this attention for. Uh, throw the Lombardi across the river and all that. I said, but I didn't see him dancing. Sue Sue was getting down with that Lombardi trophy uh, after the the boat parade and the Super Bowl. And there's some great video of him with teammates. And um, I've never seen him, you know, enjoy himself and cut loose like he did that day. Of course, you could say that about Brady and a lot of players, obviously. But um, he he really did. It was really the the culmination of what's been a great inter- individual career. He look, he's made a ton of Pro Bowls. Um, had a lot of sacks, you know, certainly got a lot of notoriety. Didn't just didn't win much, did win with the Rams, obviously went to a Super Bowl there. Um, but they didn't win the game. And so, you know, uh, he does feel at home and, and yeah, his young teammates, he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the old hand right now. And they're teaching me certain phrases and dances and whatnot all the time. But, uh, I, I just think, you know, I, I just think a, a happy player is a good player. Now, the one thing too, and I've said this all along with all these re-signings, and I don't think it can be emphasized enough. You know, Bruce Arians has said that when they get the training cramp, he's going to do what he always does, which is beat the crap out of them. But the reality is he gives his he takes care of veteran players, maybe maybe mm-hmm. better than any coach I've, I've you know, actually covered. And that, that says a lot, right, because I've, I've covered a lot of them here in Tampa just in the last five or ten years. But – he really does make sure that his his older players, whether it's Jason Pierre-Paul or Levante David or Indomitian Sue or Rob Gronkowski, um, he does want to get them in football shape. But once he does, 
especially during a season, if they got nicks and, and, and problems here and there, he gives them days off. He gives them scheduled veteran days off. And Sue is one of those guys. Um, by the same token, nobody played more snaps on the interior defensive line last year for the Bucks than Sue. Sue was on the field more than anybody. And so, you know, he's a durable player. He, you know, unlike uh, Gerald McCoy, who's had a series of injuries throughout his career, drafted just below him and and many, many others, you know, Sue always seems to be available and make plays on Sunday. So you got to give him that as well. And, you know, he's just, he's in such a good place in his life right now. I can't imagine uh, being a first-time father and having twins. I, I <laughs> I just, I, I've got a couple, you got a couple of boys. I've got uh, two girls and an older son. It, it's just, it's, it's a lot of work. And, um, you know, thankfully for him, his wife is doing all the work. He said, look, if I could feed them, uh, they, they would, they would be around me a lot more than they are right now, but he's sort of in charge of the changing and, and, uh, and that sort of thing right now. But these, these two boys for twin for twin boys, seven pounds eight ounces and twenty one inches, and then seven pounds twelve ounces, those are normal big big babies in and of their own right, right? And to have two of yeah, them, you don't see that size for twins, no, no, no. Usually anywhere from four to, or you know, even less, but four to five pounds, usually premature a little bit. But um, and their names are interesting, you know. And Damakong, um, you know, is a is has a from his Cameroon language um has a certain meaning and you know he he named he he got to name his first son the, the ride first which was Kingston he named him after Kingston Jamaica which is where his mother is from uh so it's Kingston Rudolph I might screw this up Bongjo Sue um and then his wife named the second one Kari uh K H A R I David Fombu Sue and there's grandparents and friends and and a lot of different uh, family members wrapped up in those names, but they both essentially mean king um, in 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 their own languages. And I think uh, you know he said there there was a group of guys that uh, in Portland that he was a part of, known as the Four Kings. And so it's sort of loosely based off of that. But you know, just just really cool to uh, to talk to him. You can hear the excitement in his voice, and you know, just the best part of his life obviously going on right now and so um i i just think it's an it's an important signing and and i do believe that if he's if he's able to be healthy and and he has been since he's been here um that he's going to get better and what's going to make him better is the guy playing next to him and vice versa i you know when they drafted vita vea the knock on vea was he wasn't nasty enough you know mm-hmm. vita, vita is a very calming guy on and off the field uh you know, doesn't, doesn't get in any fights and the extracurricular stuff. If you talk to him, he's very soft-spoken, really doesn't like doing media and stuff like that, which is fine. But, you know, they, they thought about this, you know, Gerald McCoy did not come back, uh, under Bruce Arians and, you know, they wanted somebody, um, that would in a good way, rub a little nasty off on Indomicon from a style of play standpoint, not, not the extracurricular stuff or getting suspended, but, but an attitude, you know, this, this, this motor, um, that they wanted Vita to play with because Vita is one of these guys that doesn't know how good he can be just yet. I mean, he's starting to figure it out and we saw it in the postseason after he, you know, missed all those weeks, he came back and was such a huge force for them. But I, I think it's been a really, you know, great pairing him and Vita and 
I don't know where you begin as an offensive coordinator when you have to address those two men, which you can't really block one-on-one. I mean, you're just not going to be able to do it. And so what does that do for Jason Pierre-Paul and, you know, Shaq Barrett? Yeah, I mean, those your two edge rushers now are getting one-on-ones, and that's what we saw in the playoffs. Vita Vea has to be the happiest guy that this signing happened. Oh, for sure. You know, he has started to blossom with Indomitian Sue kind of being, whether he mentors him or it's just, you know, watching how he works and and, and does yeah. things. I mean, there's a reason the Bucks every year right now are, you know, if not the best, one of the best rush defenses. And it's because yeah. you can't run up the middle against them at all. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, and when you can stop the run like that, it helps your edge pass rushers because mm-hmm. there's a lot of third and longs, second mm-hmm. and longs. Where they, you know, where Shaq Barrett and and JPP and others can go get them. Devin White can on the blitz go get the quarterback. Right, right. Um, you know, that's the, the defense starts right there in the middle. And when you've got Indomitian Sue, one of the best ever at that position, and Vita Vea, who potentially has the talent to become one of those, he does, and is getting better every year, and he's learning from Indomitian Sue and getting that edge to him too. It, that you know, not not the extracurricular, not the off the field, but just the when the play is going on. Yep. You know, no one's no one's going to stop us. You know, we're going to do what we've got to do to 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 stop the run, get the quarterback, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And Vita Vea has really blossomed in playing next to Indomitian Sue. And you know, when he came back, they they were smart. They played Vita a lot on third down in passing situations, and he didn't register a lot of numbers because he didn't have to. Um, but the push that he got, mm-hmm. the amount, the strength that this guy has, his ability. Uh, to get off the football and to split double teams and really get in the backfield and in the feet of of the quarterback and and like you said flush him left or right uh, into the arms of Paul or or Shaq Barrett I mean it's incredible to watch and considering that he missed all that time probably you know definitely wasn't in the best shape of his life coming off that injury uh, you know he had that horrific uh, broken leg um, that he that he suffered against Chicago prior to that and even if you look at that Chicago game Man, he was he was had begun what looked like it was going to be a Pro Bowl year. I think he had two two and a half sacks in the first five games. You could have seen this guy getting double digits, and with the attention that he got in the postseason this past year, if he comes back and it, he'll be playing under his his fifth year option, but he comes back and picks up where he left off in the postseason, and is able is fortunate enough to stay healthy. The sky's the limit for this guy. He'll make a Pro Bowl or five, um, and I really believe that you know. Uh, the league is is uh, just starting to really figure out, you know, how good Vita Vea can be, and and he's you know and he's beginning his fifth season, which um, you know is still a pretty young football player at that position. So good for Indomitian Sue is great catching up with him, and um, you know we'll see where the Bucks go from here. Whether that's Antonio Brown, um, they you know obviously they still have to re-sign Blaine Gabbert and some of those other guys that are still out there among free agents, but um, Sue certainly. Uh, completes the set of the 22 starters. All right, so we got some uh, good questions today on our mailbag segment. Let's get to it. Well, we'll start with the defensive line, and Michael asked, how likely is it that the Bucks draft an edge rusher with the 32nd pick this year in the NFL draft? Well, I mean, I would say this, that, um, you know, your your values of, of positions have, have long been um, you start with the quarterback, obviously, and I think we could see four quarterbacks come off the board in that order. The first four picks of the draft could all be quarterbacks, right? Because it's a quarterback-driven league. It's that way in all of football, but particularly in the NFL with the rules and whatnot. 
So after quarterback, I think, you know, the next value position and just forgetting the player, but in terms of value, um, are those that can affect the quarterback, right? Um, and, and the closer you are to the ball, that that's that's where the impact usually is. So edge rusher after quarterback, I think, is usually the highest valued player. Now, having said that, look, they absolutely need to, if I were listing their biggest needs, edge rusher would be number one, I think. And I say that only because you have to look at their front seven as a group, right? Um, they need interior defensive linemen as well. There's no question about that. But, you know, Shaq Barrett, who signed a four-year deal, it's really really has two years guaranteed of that deal. He's going to be 29 next November during the season sometime. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul is certainly getting up there in age. Uh, I think this is the final year of the contract he signed uh, just a year or so ago when they when they added two years. So, you know, you're going to have to replace. You don't have a lot of depth there. Anthony Nelson came on um, somewhat, you know, the draft pick from Iowa a couple of years ago. But there's, there's just not a ton of depth. So, so you want to con- continue to – you know, supplement that position. The problem is, like quarterback, you know, your real elite guys are going to be gone. Even if the quarterbacks go one through four, your elite edge rushers, and there's not a ton of them this year, surprisingly. Uh, proven commodities, I mean. Uh, you know, there's no Joey Bosa's in this draft, right? So, um, but whatever quality there is, those guys will probably be long gone before you get to 32. That doesn't mean you don't take one. Um, you can certainly go that way. I, they have said this. They're not hostage to any position because they have the 22 starters, and I believe them. Um, but I, I think if you were just going to say list the Bucks' needs in order, you know, one through whatever, five, I, I really do think you would start with edge rusher because of the value, the age of the guys that you have returning, and the fact that you're one injury away from playing a totally unknown commodity. And, and you know, you, you want to be able to have some people – um, you know, develop behind those guys. So uh, much like quarterback, I think it's a good position to always address when you can. Um, and, you know, we'll just see how the draft falls. That's not to say that, again, you know, if, if the, the best running back in the nation is sitting there at 32 and you go, well, you got Ronald Jones and Lombardi, Lenny Fournette and all that, why would you draft a running back? Well, both those guys are in their final year. You know, and, you know, if you could get one of the top guys, maybe you go that way. So there's no position I'd, I think they would exclude necessarily other than kicker, as Jason Light said the other day. <laughs> he, he will not draft a kicker. Thank God he's learned that lesson. But um, but I think everything else is fair game. And uh, and I do believe them that they, um, they, you know, that they'll they'll try to check the box of the best the best football player they can find. But edge rusher, if it if it turns out there's one there and he's the highest guy. I don't think they'll hesitate at all. Brian asked, what are the chances the Buccaneers open the season against the Cowboys? Dak is back, and the NFL rightly enjoys having them in prime time for ratings. Plus, by doing it as the first game of the year, the NFL doesn't have to worry as much of what the Cowboys' record may be later on in the season. <laughs> That's a good point all the way around. I've thought about this. Um, you know, we're all assuming because uh, John Gruden didn't have this luxury. He is the last and probably only Super Bowl team that I can remember that uh, won the Super Bowl and had to start on the road. You know, they closed the Veterans Stadium and had to open the link the next year, and he still hadn't gotten over it. Um, but assuming the Bucks play that Thursday night, you know, kickoff classic defending Super Bowl champions hosting somebody, if you look at the schedule, um, I don't know that you totally eliminate the NFC South teams. I would say that. New Orleans 
at Tampa Bay would be a hell of a game whenever it's played. Now, you know, the Bucks, you know, lost five in a row until they beat them in the in the uh, playoffs, NFC uh, divisional game. But think about this. What if Jameis Winston's making his first real start for the New Orleans Saints on on their opening day, and it's in Raymond James against Tom Brady and the Bucks? That's a good matchup. How about this? How about nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills? How about Josh Allen, the AFC, uh, you know, in an AFC championship game, just one game away from the Super Bowl a year ago, could have been here at Raymond James. They lost to the Chiefs. What if they come to Tampa Bay? Would that be a good game? And, yeah, I think the Cowboys are in there because, look, um, it's a business, right? It's not show friends. It's show business. So if you're a network that's got that game, and you're saying, you know, whether you like them, hate them, they evoke emotion. Um, the NFC East is, is you know, everyone on the Eastern Seaboard from Philadelphia and New York are all going to be paying attention to see how bad they, the Cowboys can get beat by the Bucs. Um, and, and you're right, Dak will be healthy, we think, and they'll be as healthy as they can be. So uh, they won't have been whittled down by whatever it is that whittles down the Cowboys every year. So I, I I really believe that would be a great game if uh, Jerry Jones and his crew came here. So um, I would put them on the list. I I think they'd be in there. I, I'm not. I'm just not sure how it's going to go. I you know one of my favorite days of the off season is the day the schedule comes out because we all we, there's going to be 17 games this year as a matter of fact, and we all when, sit there and when when <laughs> we do a Gruden test. win win what, man win win. There's another win win. We're seventeen and zero, man. Um, I, I just think that you know th- that's just such a great day, and 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 the national games will be announced early on, especially this one, right? Especially the Thursday kickoff mm-hmm. game. So I can't wait. That's usually towards the end of April, towards the end of this month. Yeah, it's uh, usually right before the NFL draft. Generally, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although and, they said it could be a little later this year. Yeah, they always maybe into May. Yeah. Of, yeah, I don't know. know. I hope it. I hope it comes before the draft, man, yeah. because I got too much to focus on. But well, speaking uh, of that, did you see that ESPN is probably not going to have a double header for Monday Night Football the first week? I did, but they had a good trade off for that. I thought, yeah. Didn't so they? instead, they're going to put a week eighteen, which is the final week of the season, a Saturday double header that ESPN would televise. Well, that'd be hot with playoff team. So they would flex team. You know, it would be that you're playing yeah. that weekend, and they'll flex teams to the Saturday night. Or Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, double header. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, presumably it's the, it's really when the playoffs generally start the first weekend of January, but mm-hmm. that because everything's pushed back a week this year with seventeen games. So, mm-hmm. which I, I think is better for ESPN, quite frankly, and I think they do too. Yeah, because I don't, you know, they because they have the double header, the Monday night double header. They start the first one fairly early, especially for the West Coast. So I don't think the ratings are all that great. Um, they, one of those are usually, uh, you know, it's a split crew. Obviously the Monday night crew is with the, the more marquee game if there is one, but I think that's a, look, I love when, when college football is over and, and, um, the NFL can play on Saturdays, I think those are really nice. You know, those are fun games to know that they're on, you know, um, cause you kind of Jones in college football's, you know, waiting for the bowl season and, um, you've got your Saturdays and, and you can plan around, you know, um, two important, you know, games that have postseason implications. So that's a good trade-off for ESPN. All right. King Lewis asks, what will happen with Carlton Davis? Well, you know, th- this is a unfortunate 
all the way around, but I think there's a there's a an opportunity for Carlton and for all of us. Um and that is, you know, if if you're not familiar with the story, um so Carlton Davis was tweeting about something going on in Miami and he used uh sort of an what's regarded as an anti-Asian slur unintentionally, it, 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 you know, and I believe him um, because I think I know Carlton and I think I know him well enough to know that he would not, um, you know, try to offend anybody. I mean, Carlton's one of those guys that is on the social justice committee. He's, you know, always, he's a caring guy. I mean, you just get a vibe when you're around people and I've been around him for about four years. Um, he He's always treated everybody with respect i've never known anybody to have a complaint about him in that in that vein um and so you know he got himself into trouble using a word that began i won't say it here begins with g and and it it had had been used particularly all through the 1900s um you know to to as a a derogatory term towards asians um you know we we fought wars in japan obviously in southeast asia korea all that uh, Vietnam and and that term you you'd hear if you watch the movie Platoon you're going to hear it um, and somehow he was unaware of it he used it uh, he thought it meant something else he got a quick education you know when you post on social media you better be sure because you can't take it back he deleted the post but you know people did screenshots like they always do so it lives uh, lives forever and now it's going to live a little bit in infamy um, he's apologized you know, at first I think he was annoyed that, uh, you know, he was called out for it. Um, and I, you know, he said something about reporters, you know, running with the story, but then I think he came to understand that, um, that it was offensive and, you know, consider the context of our time, right? We're, we're living at a time of coronavirus where, um, there's been, you know, just an, uh, you know, umpteen increase in, you know, assaults on, on, um, on Asian people in this country, um, merely because of the, of just racism and, and, and the frustration and prejudice, um, that exists and has just, you know, been exacerbated by COVID-19 and its origins in China. And, and so it's, uh, it's, it's horrible that, um, and we've seen these play out, you know, on television and, and on social media video all over the place, uh, where these folks are, are getting attacked, uh, for no reason at all. And so under that, you know, that context of our time, uh, it was important that he understand that, uh, you know, ignorance of, of, of a term, uh, that you're using and you're not aware it's racist really doesn't matter. Um, it's offensive. You need to know it's offensive and, you know, um, and, and correct it. And, and he did, I, you know, he's apologized. Uh, like I said, he's in, a, he's in a position now of having a platform as an NFL player and I think he will use it um, because I, I think he is, you know, doesn't he, he doesn't like hate wherever it exists, particularly if you're already a minority, uh, you know, an African-American uh, player, an athlete. You've seen plenty of racism in your life, no doubt. And so the last thing you want to do is to offend another race. And so I think, you know, this is a this is a lesson not just for him, not just for his teammates, but for everybody um, you know, to, to know that words do hurt people. Um, they do offend people and to be very careful, uh, and understand the origin of those when you can go snarfast. 
I saw Joel Glazer noted Raymond James Stadium is fine for the Bucks, but could use some upgrades. Could we see a Hard Rock Stadium-style-like seating covering? Would be so fan-friendly for the early season Sunday kickoffs. Well, that's certainly one upgrade they could do, um, and that would you know make it much more comfortable, at least in September and October, sometimes November, sometimes December, when it's really hot. Um, they looked into that. My information is, because I asked about it a few years ago when, when they did it at Hard Rock Stadium down there uh, in Miami, if that's in fact still the name because it changes every five minutes. But they said it was really cost, somewhat cost prohibitive. Now you say, well, what does that mean, cost prohibitive? Well, it means it's too much money, more than they want to spend for just a, a couple games a year. Um, you, you talk about other events, and yeah, maybe, maybe it would impact those as well. But primarily, you know, they do not, because the TSA sort of runs the stadium, and even though the Bucks, you know, siphon profits from every event that's there, they're not scheduling the events. And so, therefore, the stadium really isn't booked all the, all the, all the, all the time like it could be. Um, would that enhance the ability to have more concerts or more whatever? Possibly. Um, I just, I don't see it happening just simply because it could have already happened. They, they put $160 million in there and most of that went to infrastructure in terms of the scoreboards, the ribbon boards. Um, they did, they did change the seats out, um, from the original ones. Um, they, they've built new clubs in both the West and the East side. They've, they've got new bars in there. Um, new restrooms, you know, a lot of stuff was, was enhanced because of COVID um, from that standpoint. So to be honest with you, I don't know what, what changes he's talking about. Um, I don't know what you can do unless you, unless you attempt to change the structure of it, uh, you know, with, with the canopies or with some kind of covering that doesn't exist now. And I simply don't think they're going to do that. So, you know, I, I think it was the ultimate dodge. Um, from Joel Glazer. I, I don't think they would tell you this even in an honest moment, but you'd be naive to think, and maybe this just isn't the right time for them. And there may never be because, you know, cities are not into building stadiums anymore. They're really not. But I think you'd be naive to think that Raymond James was built in 98 or opened in 98. And, you know, here we are some 20 something years later, um, and that's about the lifespan of these stadiums for, for better or worse. And even though they just had a Super Bowl there and, you know, I think the sight lines are terrific and, you know, I, I think it's a good playing. So, I'll, you know, all those things are still, still true. It, it's, you know, if, if you could design something that was perfect, it would probably be either retractable roof or sort of what they've done the uh, on the other side of the equator uh in Minnesota where you know the new stadiums seem to be you know mostly glass walled um translucent so there's a lot of sunlight so you don't feel like you're outdoors um but you are in fact you know air conditioned um and so if you can't do the retractable roof and then I also you know, and I don't know that this would ever be, I think the, I think the bucks, the next time the bucks get a stadium, they're not only going to want the taxpayers to build it. They're probably going to want to be able to have complete control of it. I don't think you'll see a situation where they'll want the TSA to manage it. Um, they'll want to book their own events and make all the profits from it. That's just my opinion. It'd be hard sell, right? Uh, unless you're pouring all your money into it, if you're the Glazers, but 
I also wonder about, is there a two team solution here? Like, could you build a stadium that's also useful for baseball? Um, that, that maybe the community would get behind, you know, if it would, uh, solve the raves issues as well. And I know there's not a lot of multi-purpose stadiums these days, but that's not to say that, that you couldn't do something that, that was satisfactory in that way. Um, so we'll see. I mean, at, at, I don't, I don't think anything's imminent though. I haven't heard of any, um, real, you know, tangible changes as far as the comfort for the fans and that sort of thing. So I, I don't expect anything. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Garrett asks, when the NFL goes to 18-game schedules, he says probably as early as 2023, do you see the league having two bye weeks? Yes, that's going to happen. Uh, I think it will happen for sure because I simply, and this is going to be something to watch when the schedule does come out either late April, or early May, uh, this week, the, or this year, I think that with 17 games, they're committed to just one bye week. Um, and let's face it. Okay. A year ago, the bucks had the latest bye week, um, in the NFL, right? They were seven and five. I want to say, mm-hmm, that's correct. Um, so, you know, that was really late, really, really late, but Okay, big butt here, but by the same token, it worked and it worked really well for them because they got some, you know, they got healed up. They they needed that that time off. Clearly, it was a nice juncture of the season to reset themselves. And when they came back, it was the quirk of the schedule, but the teams, the opponents were easier. They played Atlanta twice, Detroit, Minnesota. Um but because it was late, they were able to make that eight-game run, you know, eight-game winning streak, and go all the way to the Super Bowl because they, you know, they had to play the wild card. They had to play the extra postseason game. So had it been any earlier, like if it had been week four or five, who's to say they're not completely out of gas before they get to the postseason? So when you have 17 games, I think this year they'll be rooting, rooting for, a, a, a you know, a bye week to be week 10, 11, 12, whatever. Um, because you still have such a, a, a long season ahead of you and a postseason after that, hopefully. So this is going to be interesting. Um, so there's going to be some teams that are going to get bye weeks, you know, sometime in October, and they're not going to be happy by the time they get to December and into, you know, into January or however long the season goes. So I, I, uh, I definitely think that when they have – and they've done this before. I, I remember years ago they did have two bye weeks in a season it, it, but for a 16 game season it was a little too much mm-hmm. there was too much time off but i think with 18 games yeah you're going to look at two bye weeks for sure but question with 18 games the players in the league came to a new cba agreement that goes through the 2030 season there's nothing about 18 games in that collective bargaining agreement that i'm familiar with so could they even entertain that before 2030 without giving the players something significant no, yeah, they can. Um, they ha- in fact, it'd have to be collectively bargained. I just think that right. it's. I just think that it's. Uh, I mean, the players didn't want to go to seventeen. They got enough. No, 
uh, you know, new money and a bigger percentage and that's, of the, the revenues coming in. You just hit it on the head. I think there's more TV deals to be had. I, I, I don't know that we're completely done, you know, um, in terms of we're still waiting to see how that's going to impact the future salary caps, et cetera, uh, with streaming, with all these new things that are coming aboard. Um, and so I think when you get into. But with these new deals, it wouldn't make sense to do a new add another game until you have new deals coming up. Right, but what I'm saying is, is that unless there's elevators in those deals, that if we go to 18 games, yes. you're paying more. And I don't, that, I don't, I'm not familiar with the TV deals. And to I'm know not, that. I'm not familiar enough with the talks anyway. But I would, I would be willing to, uh, to bet you a dollar to a donut that with the streaming things coming aboard with the with the new TV mm-hmm. deals, that there will be a provision in those uh, in the fine print that says if we go to 18 games, then the rate is this. And when they throw that money at the players, uh, they're going to go to it. Now, the, right now, there's going to be three preseason games, and then that, that fourth, what would normally be a fourth preseason game week, is going to be essentially a bye week. It's going to essentially be the week leading up to the regular season um, where you don't have a game at all. You know, Typically, mm-hmm. they would try to play that last game on a Thursday and have 10 yeah, days, before Labor Day 10 weekend, days. Yep. Right. Um, now it's just going to be, let's not kid ourselves. We don't need to play another game. Let's just be off. Um, so, you know, I think, I think you might have a scenario where they go 18 games and two preseason games. Um, so there's still, I think they're going to keep it at 20 weeks, but yeah, anytime, you know, you dump that kind of television money or that kind of revenue and you split it with the players, they're going to go for it every time because even though you you say to these guys, and I thought it was disingenuous of, of the commissioner a little bit to say, well, you know, our studies show that most of the injuries occur in preseason games anyway. Well, let's let's back up a second, okay? Because that might be true, but those guys aren't playing 65 plays as starters in those preseason games, okay? So who is getting hurt, you know? Yeah, is there a quarterback or two or a star or two that's getting hurt in preseason? Sure there is. But you know what? I guarantee you the bulk of the players are probably guys that aren't going to make clubs anyway or guys that you're not counting on because you're not playing your starters. I mean, hell, when you have four preseason games, the the last one you don't play anybody at all, okay? And it's gotten to be where the third one where they used to say, well, that's the game our starters are going to come back in the second half. They don't do that either, Okay. They're lucky to make it a halftime because what happens is the coach is standing over there going, hey, if I pull all my guys now, I'm guaranteed to have them for the opener in two weeks. And so they all get nervous and they start yanking them out. So really you're talking about really a game or two. And even in those games, you know, is Tom Brady going to play more than a series in the first preseason game? No, because he doesn't need to. I mean, hell, last year they didn't have a preseason game and he won a Super Bowl with a new team and a new offense. So. I, I just think it's, you know, this idea that, oh, we, we, did the, we did the players a favor. Now they won't get hurt in preseason is ridiculous because they didn't get, you know, the ones that mattered didn't get hurt anyway for the most part. I mean, you get hurt in practice. I mean, we're, we're playing football here, so you can get hurt anytime. But, you know, the proportionately, I can't believe that there were that many stars as opposed to you had a 17th game, you're playing every frontline guy you got. So – you know, let, let's let's be cognizant of who was getting hurt and who wasn't. Um, but I think eventually the players, they just look at the money and, you know, it's a cost-benefit analysis. They want theirs. They want it now. And then they're probably going to get 18 games. I think that's the way, it's, the way it's headed. All right. Craig in Vegas asks, 
At what point does Kevin Kiermeyer's offense start to limit his starts with Manuel Margot and other options that hit better than him? Last three years, it's 217, 228, and 217. If they're short on pitching, they may need more offense than defense this year. Well, I think Mark Topkin wrote about Margot a little bit in the Tampa Bay Times. You can check that out on TampaBay.com. But I, I am I am with this question, Craig. I I watched Kevin Kiermeyer and you know, I don't know how many games. I mean, you could do the analysis. There's tons of numbers that shows you how many games he wins with his glove. And he's, you know, won what, three gold gloves and one platinum, whatever. So he is worth wins, um, the war, right? Wins against replacement, whatever, is very, very good. However, however, um, I've not seen him improve at all as a hitter. Uh, he still is yanking off, you know, trying to yank everything, uh, at least, you know, what I've seen of him so far. Now it's been three games in the regular season, but every year they go to spring training and they talk about him, you know, hitting it the other way and, you know, with his speed and, and, and all those things. But, you know, health is an issue. He, he gets beat up the way he plays, his style of play, you know, whether it's base running and he's not a great base runner. He's not a base stealer. He certainly doesn't have a good on-base percentage. So if Manuel Margot turns the corner the way everyone thinks he has, just from attitudinally and um, the contact that he makes, he's a damn good outfielder himself, okay? You're not losing a ton out there. You might be losing something, but you're not losing a ton, but you're gaining a ton of offense. Now, it's a right-handed bat versus a left-handed bat. There's there's something to be said for that. But if Kevin Kiermaier is your highest-paid player and he's going to continue to hit where he's hitting, um, you know, they traded Snell, so there was no need. You know, that was the decision, I guess, to some extent, is like, you know, we'll win more games with Kiermaier playing every day in center field or most every day than we will, you know, Snell try and go out there every fifth day. But I – I just haven't seen it, and if it if it hasn't happened yet, I I think he is what he is, and what he is is a damn good baseball player. But offensively, he's challenged, and I think the Rays recognize that, and I think they're willing to live with it. But you know, like any business, okay, they they they'll keep you as long as they can tolerate you, and as soon as the money and the production isn't what they need it to be, and there's somebody else that they like that's younger that has a bigger upside, that's getting the job done, they're going to move towards that that individual pretty quickly. And I I think Kiermaier's replacement is probably on this roster, and I think it's, I think it's Margot. E. Bush asked, should we be concerned with Chris Archer and Rich Hill's not-so-great debut, debuts over the weekend? Concerned? I'll be Lovey Smith. I'll channel my Lovey Smith. I go back to disappointed. Discouraged? Um, it's one game. It's the first appearance. Uh, Archer came out of the bullpen. You know, Austin Meadows was from his defense. Yeah, I was going to say Austin Meadows did a little league routine in right field. I mean, I've been to those games. I've seen right fielders do that. (laughs) So, uh, and those games were played by 12-year-olds. And so, you know, I, I will say this, like just judging Chris, on, on his stuff, I you know, to me, you begin with what's his stuff look like, right? I mean, there look, there are days where you can throw great pitches and guys hit them for no reason. It's like, that was a great pitch. It was on, on the black. It was a, you know, whatever, slider, fastball, 98, you know, somehow the guy ripped it down the right field line for a home run. I mean, it can happen that way. 
So I think the thing to, to really concern yourself with is the stuff. And I, I just wasn't overly impressed with um, Archer's stuff, you know, the velocity of his fastball. And again, let's understand he's coming off surgery. Uh, he came out of the bullpen for only the third time in his career. So I want to see him, if not start a game, he may be a guy that has an opener for a while. I don't know if they're going to start him or he'll just be the first one in. But regardless, uh, I need to see him out there more than one appearance. I think he'll – Hill is who Hill is. I mean, big curveball guy, not a lot of velocity, you know, has to have great command of his pitches, um, but just wasn't overly impressed with him or Colin McHugh. So hopefully, you know, um, they'll get a good season out of Michael Waka, and I think these other guys will come around. I wouldn't be overly concerned about anybody's first appearance, but, you know, their stuff, I think, has to get a little bit better, and, and it probably will the more, especially with Archer, the more he goes out there. All right, blank ass. Rick, with all the years you have covered the Bucks, you must have a ton of great stories. Have you ever considered writing a book about the team? Tampa Bay sports teams have very few books written about them. Yeah, and the title is We Can't Have Nice Things. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, the reason why there hasn't been a lot of sports books written about Tampa Bay teams is because they haven't won very much. Now, that you can't say that about the Lightning of late, for sure. They've won two Stanley Cups now. And for that matter... The Tampa Bay Bucks have two Lombardi trophies, which you can only say about nine teams in this NFL. So, so take that, um, the rest of you. Look, I, I think if you based it just on what I've witnessed, and I've been in this market longer than anybody for better or, or many times worse, um, it's there are certainly a lot of stories. And you know, for my part, covering the Bucks which, you know, up until I think this year they were surpassed by the Minnesota Timberwolves as the worst winning percentage, you know, in North American history. Uh, so thank you, Tom Brady. But there's plenty of stories. And I've told some of them, me and Tom Jones, that we do our podcast once in a while. We, we take a trip down misery lane, as I like to call it. And we retell some of our favorite or least favorite moments. There's certainly a book. Um, I don't have any book deals. I don't have any book proposals. I don't even know if I can write a book. Um, speaking of books, buy our Super Bowl book that's on sales now. But I, I do think that um, there will come a time when I have the time uh, and I'm not actively, you know, covering each transaction that I will be able to sit down and hopefully remember most of these stories. And so you know, that's just something that is in the back of my mind. I don't know if anybody will buy it, but it'll be cathartic for me. And then I can drop all the dirt on everybody. And so all of you folks, it's coming. Get ready. <laughs> um, I'm not holding back. One day I'll do it. I swear I will. Uh, and uh, and then no one will talk to me. But other than that, uh, yeah, so... Not coming to a new stand near you anytime soon, unfortunately. But yeah, there's it's certainly something I've contemplated, and uh, I think everybody has a good book in them. You know what I mean? Before you, before your life, not that you write about your own experiences necessarily, but just sort of the sort of the encounters you've had. And I've certainly had a bunch of them. We'll wrap up on this. And Ellis asked, in your opinion, which professional athlete of the pre-social media media era would have attracted the most controversy if social media had been available to them? Oh, this is not even close. Of the guys that I've known, um, it'd have to be Warren Sapp. I, that was my the first guy I thought of. Yeah. Now, now Warren, you know, Warren was is a very first of all, he's he's very smart. Uh, people may not believe this, but it's mm -hmm. true. He's 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 really uh, 
a smart guy, done a lot of maybe less than intelligent things in his life, but we, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to judge, but I, I, I just think that, you know, he was in a time when there was no social media, he created his own. It it just was called headlines and you'd get these players, you know, I mean, just think about on the field. Okay. Forget the, the off the field stuff. Clearly, clearly social media, I mean, you know, would have, uh, blown up at that time for a lot of the off the field, but the on the field stuff was, was, was in its own way salacious. I mean, you know, this guy, you know, would run through warmups and you remember the Packers coach, Mike Sherman and the whole put a Jersey on bit. And, um, you know, some of the hits he made that they deemed that they thought was illegal and, um, you know, him scoring touchdowns and his, his, on his own team, sort of the spat that he had internally with, with Keyshawn Johnson. And, um, you know, there's a time when him and Chia Hanatu got into it, uh, in a fight. And so, you know, you think about his career and just what a, you know, what a character of the game he was, what a, a first ballot hall of fame player he was, uh, and how both opponents and sometimes his own teammates, had a little trouble with them. And, and a lot of times he was right and they were wrong, but it didn't necessarily come off that way. You know, the one thing that SAP was always about was winning. And if you weren't willing to do what it needed to be done to win, he had no use for you. Um, but he ran that football team. He said what Derek Brooks would never say, but knew needed to be said. Um, you know, and so a lot of times, you know, Derek, he was, was channeling through him, but, um, there's no question in my mind that in his day, in his heyday, had social media been what it is today for better and sometimes worse, Warren Sapp would have been the follow of follows. All right. Thanks for your questions. Those were great. You don't have to wait for a mailbag segment. You can send them to us any, any time at all. Any question you have about the bolts, the bucks, um, you know, the rays, you name it. Send it to us on Twitter at sports day TV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at Tampa Bay. Dot com. The Rays continue their series in Boston against the Red Sox, and the Lightning are back in action, trying to get back on track, as a matter of fact, having lost, what, four out of five now? Four um, out of six. Four, four out, out of six. six. Sorry, I, I cheated them one. Four out of six. They're in Columbus against John Torturella, uh, who seems to always have their number. Tough team to play, so we'll see if they can get things straightened out there. Tomorrow on the podcast, maybe for the next two days, we're going to have my partner, Tom Jones, uh, formerly of the Tampa Bay Times, now with the Pointer Institute. So look forward to that. So hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks for your questions. For Steve Verstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 